Chat on This are a series of conversations designed to be thought-provoking, informative, and offer an empowering approach towards well-being for your family. Brought to you by Advanced Health Chiropractic. Well, here we are again. How very exciting. And I have Christine Horton with me. Now, before we get into it, I'd like to give a little bit of background into Christine's illustrious career. The year 2004 saw the culmination of almost 30 years of clinical practice for Brisbane Nutritional Biochemist. It is absolutely the first time I've spoken to a biochemist, so thank you, Christine. (laughs) And quite by chance, this was the same year that the term nutrigenomics was first coined. Already somewhat disillusioned by the dominance of synthetic nutritional supplements within the nutrition profession, Christine immediately realized that the new science of nutrigenomics had the power to elevate the practice of clinical nutrition to the next level, especially in targeting upstream defense mechanisms by which every human cell operates. So began for her an era of intense research into the nutrigenomic properties of phytochemicals. And by late 2005, she actually discovered a French product with the ability to potentially upregulate three primary antioxidant enzymes. Now, for most of us, that just seems extraordinary, and I'm sure you'll get into that for us. And quite fortuitously, the following year, in 2006, Christine became aware of a broccoli-derived phytochemical, sephorophane, already supported by a substantial body of research After realizing the extraordinary potential of this very small lipid-soluble molecule, the future direction of her company, Cell Logic, became immediately clear. The company would specialize in researching and developing nutrigenomically active molecules as powerful clinical intervention tools. With her primary background in nutritional biochemistry, Christine continues to enjoy translating the complexities of the science into core principles, ensuring that they're relevant to the needs of practicing clinicians. And this is quite by chance how I came across your amazing work, Christine. It's an absolute delight and pleasure to be sitting here with you today and chatting about our immune function and how our body reacts when it's in contact with external um sources such as organisms like bacteria and viruses. Uh, I was first familiar with your work during COVID and I was really fascinated by this COVID virus and so as it happens were you and you produced some amazing educational material which really helped me understand what was going on in this time where there was a lot of fear and therefore it drove a lot of stress in many people. So it helped me understand exactly what was going on when people were infected with the COVID SARS-2 virus and what it was that you did is you were able to break down for us exactly how our amazing bodies, um, what they did when they were faced with things like viruses. And it made complete sense to me um, that if we focused on improving the strength of the host, i.e. the health of our our own health, that would be able to overcome viral infections and in the end thrive again. It made quite logical sense the way that you described it. So I wanted you, first of all, to break down for us um, how our wonderful bodies act 
when they first in contact with an infectious agent and how and what we can do to help build ourselves up so that we can thrive, particularly as we face the winter months, which we are in um, Australia and New Zealand. So thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. As chiropractors, we know that health comes from within and that supporting a properly functioning nervous system, which is free of interference, really helps to promote our health and well-being. And I know that aligns really closely with nutrigenomics, and which is an area which you know intimately. So perhaps first of all, Christine, you could tell us a little bit more about why you're so incredibly fascinated by this relatively new science, nutrigenomics. Well, thank you so much, Katie, for the invitation. Um, I really appreciate the opportunity to speak to your um, viewers, audience, and thank you for your kind introductory remarks. So after 30 years in clinical practice, um, I'd had enough of being chained to the appointment book, I have to say. I think you would understand that all practitioners do after a time. So um, I got involved in research, and as you explained, I discovered these plant chemicals which had properties I'd known nothing about. And essentially what I discovered with the melon extract from France and the broccoli bioactive molecule sulforaphane is both of those materials activate switches in our own cells <clears throat> and those switches then turn on a whole array of protective genes. So within every cell of our body we have genes and, and the genes are made up of DNA and there are about 250 genes that we know of that are specifically designed to protect us against all manner of threats. So that, that threat could be, um, you know, swallowing a poison. It could be uh, attacked by a virus or a bacteria or pretty much anything that might attack the body. Those molecules have the ability to activate the switch that activates the protective genes. So the important thing I learned that I didn't know when I was in practice is our body has a whole series of antennae, if you like, aerials that are uh, observing what's going on around us all the time. And when the body detects some sort of a threat, it immediately arms its own defences. So that's pretty useful. Um so if we just go into the, the virus side of it, because you mentioned the COVID thing, and it applies to any virus, you know, whatever mm -hmm. the winter flu is that might be circulating at the moment, our body's immune systems have a number of different internal systems that can immediately detect the threat of the virus. And once detected, it immediately then switches on a whole machinery of immune defences. There are many different processes going on. And that's happening almost immediately. I think we listen to the popular media and we think we've got to wait until we produce antibodies to fight an infection. That is absolutely wrong. The antibodies take about five to seven days before they kick in. Your immune system, if you've got a healthy immune system, it's starting work immediately, it detects a threat, and that's even before you cough or sniff or, or whatever mm. alerts you to the fact that something is wrong. So it's 
it's a, a wonderful system and it has so many parts to it um, that I really got excited at the possibility that there are molecules in food that can activate these switches at any time. So in terms of just general preventive health, even if there's no particular virus floating around at the moment, you want to keep your cells ready to go if necessary. And um, so that's what these plant molecules do. And when I started practice back in the mid-70s, mm-hmm. there were very few vitamin supplements on the market. And so a lot of the work that I did, nearly all of the work that I did at that stage was done with food because we had only to use food. And so I gained a very healthy respect for the power of food in human health. And sometimes to the great surprise of modern practitioners in nutritional medicine, we could fix a whole host of conditions with food alone. Mm. And it isn't that now the food's devoid of this and that and it's not possible anymore. It's just really not true. It Mm. is possible. Yes, Mm. yes, the soil is compromised and, yes, the food um, has reduced nutrients, but it doesn't mean that it's not possible to gain human health by eating good solid food, and that's the foundation. I adopt what I call a food-first philosophy and whatever I'm doing to treat a patient, I start by looking at what they eat now and bit by bit we start on a journey of changing certain things. I mean, people can sometimes say, oh, I eat a good diet. Everybody says they eat a good diet if you ask them. (laughs) It's only when you ask the details that you find out. That isn't always the case and unfortunately... A lot of that um, error is created by the food industry because, you know, you can go into a supermarket and think, I'll buy these muesli bars for the kids' Mm. lunchboxes because that's really healthy. No, it isn't really healthy. The food manufacturer might have told you it was Mm. healthy and, yes, it's got oats in it and whatever else, almonds or sultanas or something. Uh, It has a whole lot of other junk in there, usually heaps of sugar and other processed ingredients that mean it's not a good choice. So a lot of my work in clinical practice was in talking to people about just making different food choices. It's it's not a matter of, oh, yuck, I don't want to eat all that health food. It isn't like that. No. It's a matter, I mean, good, healthy food is delicious. It's just a matter of perhaps making different choices. you don't have to spend all day in the kitchen to create a, a healthy diet. When, you, when you're when first changing your habits, you probably spend more time than you do. But once you get the hang of it, it just mm. becomes a routine. And so it, maybe um, you've just struck on so many interesting thoughts going through my head. I guess that what we're talking about here is trying to eat food perhaps that's what we would term whole food, so food that it's, it's closest to the source of, of in which it was grown or, or produced. Uh, and that way it's not necessarily tainted and, and the body, I assume, then can take on those nutrients in a much more um, easily assimilated way. The other thing I was thinking about is what is it that could destroy or, or what food choices would be, uh, you've talked about muesli bars and I understand that, but what other things would destroy the body's innate ability to kick that immune system into action? Uh and I, yeah, 
So I'll let you answer that one. There's probably two different answers to that question. The first is eating overly processed foods. Hmm. Um, And the second one, eating foods with a lot of chemical additives. But I'm going to start with the overly processed foods because I think that's the biggest trap. And, you know, I see a lot of people now on the sourdough bread kick, for example, going, wow, sourdough is really good for you. Sourdough is made out of white flour typically. Mm. White flour has had most of its nutrients refined out of it. And although there's some benefit in the sourdough process and the way the sourdough process breaks the protein down and makes it perhaps more digestible, it's still a processed, overly refined grain. Uh, The other issue we have now is so many people are on gluten-free diets for one reason or another, some legitimate, some not. The biggest issue I see there is we've taken the wheat out of those foods and we've filled them up with starch like white rice flour, tapioca flour, which are almost completely devoid of any serious nutrition. Mm. So going gluten-free, people will proudly tell you, sometimes can make matters much, much worse. Mm -hmm. So you might have got rid of the gluten, which could definitely be some sort of an issue for a person's digestive tract or other health, Um, but you've now stripped out a whole host of nutrients. And given that most people, um, here's an Australian statistic, it'll be the same for New Zealand Mm -hmm. and it's the same for America, Something like 94% of Australian adults don't eat the required five serves of vegetables a day. That's huge. Mm. Um, And you'll find that it's slightly better for children uh, who are young toddlers and as soon as they get into the habit of eating what mum and dad eats, they don't have enough vegetables either. And one of the, the most important food groups for reducing inflammation are non-starchy plant foods. And and one of the most important recommendations I make for patients or when I teach clinicians who are doing our courses is to introduce 600 grams daily of non-starchy vegetables as a foundation. It doesn't mean you can't eat starchy potatoes and other things as well, Um, but it's those non-starchy vegetables which have been tested in clinical trials, even the modern vegetables that come out of the supermarket, they're not organic, they're just ordinary supermarket Mm -hmm. vegetables, we can um, find measurable reduction in inflammatory markers just by doing that alone. So that's, that's the power of plant food. It's amazing. You don't have to be a vegan or a vegetarian. You just mm. have to eat more plants. Yes. And when we see 94% of Australian adults and New Zealand adults um, are not eating anywhere near that, we've already got a problem without even looking at all the other additives and, you know, chemical residues and so on that are left in food. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, that's really interesting. And as we age, we get poorer and poorer in our choices. That's probably very true. Well, hopefully so not. Perhaps <laughs> you give us um, s- some examples of, of some good um, options for maybe a breakfast, lunch and a dinner uh, for a family. What, what kind of foods would you would help bolster those plant foods into our diet? 
Well, um, I'm um, particularly keen on using something like old-fashioned rolled oats as a foundation for breakfast for a number of reasons, which I can come back to. Um, <clears throat> you can turn that into a birch and muesli for the summer. You put grated apple in it. You put um, flaked almonds. You can put a few raisins, something along those lines. You soak that overnight with water or apple juice, put vanilla, cinnamon, nutmeg in there. It's like having apple pie for breakfast. And mm. then you can stir in yogurt or I tend to recommend dairy kefir a lot now. Mm. That's a fabulous breakfast. Mm. It's very filling. It's very nutritious. It's unprocessed food, um, lots of vitamins and minerals. And one of the things it really does do is sustain the appetite right throughout the morning and you'll usually get to lunchtime on that without having to run out and look for some sort of a snack. Now compare mm. that with the standard serve of cornflakes or other processed cereal and a bit of milk and probably sugar that goes into a lot of people's breakfast. What happens with those processed cereals, they shoot your blood sugar level up um, within half an hour or an hour and then they drop it down. And when it goes down below your fasting level, you can get edgy, irritable, hungry, craving sweets, need more coffee, got to go and buy a donut. That's what that sort of mm. breakfast does. So when you eat the birch and muesli or the old-fashioned mm. porridge kind of cereal in the morning, your blood sugar level climbs very, very slowly through the morning and gradually by half past 11 or 12 or whatever, it's starting to drop slowly and you go, oh, yeah, I could eat lunch shortly. So that makes a huge difference. We, mm. We're in an environment now where <clears throat> metabolic syndrome and type 2 diabetes are ever-growing, they're ever-prevalent, they're underpinning heart disease, they're certainly underpinning obesity. Mm. And it's not then just what we're eating, it's also the timing of what we're eating that makes a difference. So um, I think I'll just leave it with breakfast for now. Yeah. Because what yeah. I would always find in the clinic is if, I, if all I do is I fix the breakfast, mm. a lot of other things will sort themselves out as the day goes on. Because if you start out with a bowl of processed cereal, milk and sugar and Mm. maybe a piece of white toast, <clears throat> blood sugar up, blood sugar down. It's on this zigzag up and down now through the day and you're yeah. wanting to snack. Yes. You're overeating, yes. you're snacking, you're eating things you shouldn't eat and your whole day goes haywire, whereas if you start with a more sustaining breakfast, mm. that doesn't happen. So, you know, if all your... Um, audience learned from this today is to increase your fresh non-starchy vegetable intake and have the sort of breakfast I'm suggesting. Mm -hmm. We've fixed a whole lot of things now without going into too much detail. Now, that doesn't mean all you can have is cereal for breakfast. Um, <clears throat> poached eggs on a whole grain toast with some mushrooms and grilled tomatoes and spinach, these Another option, although a lot of people haven't got time to do that on a, a weekday, but that's a nice thing to do on yes. the weekend. And I'd also like to say that um, vitamin D as a supplement has become very popular 
But if you eat seven eggs a week, there's enough vitamin D in seven eggs to normalise your vitamin D level up to a fairly high level. You don't need to be looking at vitamin D supplements because sometimes um, in climates like yours, which is colder and darker in winter than ours, <clears throat> you don't get the sunshine effect of vitamin D. But if you're eating eggs and it's the yolk that's got the vitamin D, and it's in the form that nature can utilise within mm. ourselves. I mean, it's natural vitamin D. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot of important tips and tricks like that, which just mean a few habits need to be changed. It doesn't cost a lot of money to do. Most people like those things if they think about them. It often doesn't cross their minds so they wouldn't choose that sort of food. Absolutely. Um, well, I had a proud mother moment this morning because my 14-year-old daughter had made her own bursche muesli overnight and it was all of those things. It had um, exactly as you described it, it had a bit of grated apple in it, it had a bit of banana on top, she had some cinnamon in it, She, um, I think she possibly had a nut butter of some description, but she was so proud of herself and she had made it last night. So she'd eaten it this morning. So it had had the benefits of soaking overnight. Um, and she will have got off to a great start today. So exactly. yeah, yeah um, really I good. sometimes put chia seeds in with the oats, two parts oat and one part chia seed. The other good thing about using oats and chia is you've got two different kinds of prebiotic fibres which are feeding the happy little friendly bugs that live in our intestines. So the other thing that these um, minimally processed foods do is they're feeding the microbiome and the microbiome is an important component of our immune system which is where our conversation started. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, um, I know we've gone off track from what our planned conversation was, but I'm liking the direction it's going. And you did touch on um, how incredibly uh, intelligent our body is. Once it is perceiving a threat, automatically that, um, that part of our immune system kicks into action. What I'd like you to explain to us, which I think you do so beautifully, is this idea of... Um, really looking after the upstream effect in the body rather than the downstream effect. And I'm not going to go into it, but I, you know what I mean. If you could just explain to that, that to our audience. Yes. Um, and this is something I didn't know when I was in clinical practice, and, and had I known it, it would have changed the recommendations I make. So I'll tell you this. So within every cell of the body, I was telling you these 250-odd protective genes. Now, one group of those genes are the antioxidant enzymes, code for those enzymes. Another group of genes code for our detoxification enzymes. And they're very key processes in keeping cells healthy. The antioxidant enzymes are very powerful. They're literally millions of times more powerful in their effect than taking something like a vitamin C tablet, which really has minimal effect in that regard. Um, and so that's what we call an upstream effect because I'm not trying to affect any cell of the body. I mean, if, if somebody had um, sores that wouldn't heal on one leg, <clears throat> I need to be able to promote those protective processes. So the things that I do to deal with those upstream factors 
It doesn't matter to me where in the body the problem is. I don't care because every cell in the body is um, performing these exact same upstream processes. And there's about half a dozen of these upstream processes that are common to every cell in the body. So what we're doing by activating the switches in these cells that code for these genes, we're switching on the upstream processes in every cell of the body all at the same time. So therefore, if one person tends to get asthma, we would help them because we're doing something to improve, let's say, their lung function. Another person has irritable bowel syndrome, so they've got some problems going on with inflammation in the intestines. Mother Nature is really just dealing with all of those things at the same time. So we don't need gut pills and asthma pills and whatever else. We are dealing with these upstream factors, and so too it is with the immune system. 80% of our immune system actually resides within the gut, um, a fact which is little known. I mean, we tend to think of the immune system as sort of being part of the respiratory system, the nasal passages, and yes, it is too. Um, because most of these bugs that enter, enter through the nasal passages. So inside the cells lining the nose and the respiratory tract, there are cells which are specialised to be able to detect the bugs that are coming in and fight back and kill them. Um, and that's part of this upstream process. And so you might think, well, what's that got to do with immunity in my gut? I mean, if I've got a virus, it's here that I've got the problem. I don't have it here. Well, the thing is, if you've got a virus, one of the protective mechanisms that your cell uses in the nasal passages is it produces copious quantities of mucus. Now, you sneeze and splutter and sniff and blow your nose with that mucus, but you're also swallowing a lot of it. As mm. you swallow it, those bugs are actually going down into the digestive tract as well. So therefore, we don't just need something that we inhale. We need something that is working upstream on every cell of the body. And what's remarkable is that the cells of the intestine have a specialised type of cell that can deal with bacteria and foreign viruses and so on. And it can kill off the bad guys, but it can totally leave alone those friendly bacteria that live within the digestive tract. I mean, it's the marvels of Mother mm. Nature. Mm. And I think as clinicians, we sometimes think we can micromanage those processes. You know, we're going to give a vitamin C pill or we're going to give a zinc pill. We don't, need, we don't have the ability to micromanage those processes which are happening moment to moment your body will detect something going wrong it will respond to it then it'll find something else then it it doesn't want to overcorrect so it'll switch that off so I think the more you know about biochemistry the more you realize we humble little humans mm. don't have a lot of ability to control that which was which is why my focus is more now to say hand Mother Nature a toolbox, which is yeah. diet and lifestyle, and just stand back and let her do her thing and do the odd tweak now and again, but mm. don't try and micromanage it. I mean, I see people who somebody yesterday sent me a list of about what it was. It was exactly 18 different supplements they take 
and their justification for that was self-prescribed. I don't eat very well, so I take these to keep me healthy and live a long life. Why are you telling me this? I mean, yeah. you wouldn't be talking to me if you felt so wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's not uncommon. You would know that. Absolutely. But if you talk about an older child, let's suppose yeah. you've got a toddler, a preschool or even a school-age yeah. kid, it was not uncommon for me to see children in the clinic who had half a dozen courses of consecutive antibiotics, yeah. one after the other, um, and then you start looking at the diet and the first thing to get rid of, quick, smart and lively is sugar because typically mm-hmm. they're eating too much sugar. Now, that mm-hmm. may not be sugar out of the sugar base and it could be fruit juice and fruit mm-hmm. juice is a big no-no in my clinic. Mm-hmm. Uh, you eat the fruit, you drink the water, <clears throat> Fruit juice is an occasional treat. It's not something Mm. that you give a child Um, because, um, well, there's a whole stack of biochemical reasons because, and it's also crowding out the opportunity to consume something else that's probably more appropriate. Um, It gets back to diet. I mean, um, even a lot of the um, packaged baby food, you can cook a few vegetables. I mean, really all I would say is, Family, you're presuming you're having your five serves of vegetables a night. Puree some of that up and give it to the baby or the older child. Teach them to eat what you're eating. They don't need special food. But parents, if you're not eating the right food yourself, you have an uphill battle trying to persuade your child to do something that you don't want to do. So it becomes a family issue. And I would often ask mum and dad to bring the child in for the second visit because I need to talk to all of them. Yes. It becomes a household issue. I mean, there's certain herbal medicines and different things like that which are very useful to Mm. give children with poor immune function. But you've got to get the food right. Um, Yes. And you can't have mum and dad eating garbage and expecting the child to sit there and eat their veggies. Mm. They won't. Mm. Uh, And I think you need to be firm as well and Mm. I mean to me um yeah I have to be I have to be really firm with some families if you come to me for my best advice I'm going to give you my best advice Mm. and I'm not going to be unkind about it but I'm not going to sugarcoat it either and I'm not going to presume that if I tell you to eat so many serves of vegetables a day you won't be able to do that because it's too hard for you (laughs) <laughs> that would be really arrogant of me and I wouldn't yes. do that. Mm. But I think, you know, if you're telling, if you're speaking to a family and you're picking up the signals as you're going along and you go, so do you think you could add some green vegetable to the evening meal? You'll gauge their response if they're going, no, we don't do that. Um, you may not keep going along those lines. You may have to address it another way. There's a fair bit mm. of psychology, as you know, mm. involved in getting a patient's cooperation. But I think first they have to trust your advice. They have mm-hmm. to know you're working in their best interest. They have to know that the advice you're giving is going to lead to the best outcome. Yeah. And then I think from the practitioner's point of view, me, for example, I need to take it at the pace that the patient can handle. It's no good yeah. dumping the perfect diet in front of them on day one 
um, if they don't eat anything like that. And you would know by doing um, a diet history first, you would see what they're eating. So you're going to take it a little bit at a time. Yes. And I don't know any other way of really promoting good health other than looking at diet first and then other lifestyle factors. I think we kid ourselves if we think we can throw a few multivitamins at them and Yes, but they're no substitute. There's no multivitamin on the planet that can substitute for the complexity of the molecules that are in food. It just doesn't. Absolutely. Absolutely. It makes so much sense. I mean, we know that. We know that the body is infinitely wise and but it needs good nutrition in order to function Mm. at its best. Uh, And I think you know, modern day human beings, we tend to, um, well, we can gravitate towards those convenience foods, thinking they're health foods, they're not, uh, thinking they're saving time. And that's the, the irony is that often a lot of this good eating, you know, we doesn't need to take a lot of time. It's just maybe getting your head around a slightly different way of eating, a slightly different way of being. Uh, and from that, I mean, I love that. The simplicity of it all is wonderful, is the fact that if we eat well, and nutritiously, most of the time, we're going to help our body do the job it's designed to do. Uh, we don't need to add a whole lot of different things into the system. Um, your big no-no, I guess, from a food point of view, you've talked about is to try and stay away from heavily processed foods. Are there any other uh, things that would alter the way the body can function at its optimum you said lifestyle factors. Are there any things you'd like to touch on with regards to that? Um, well, before the lifestyle factors, I think the big issue can be some people have such a lot of digestive discomfort that once you, you try to put them on the appropriate diet, they go, oh, I can't eat that, that disagrees with me, and I believe them. I mean, yeah. there is such a lot of food intolerances prevalent now in a lot of people. I sometimes mm. talk to people who have just cut out all of the things that they react to and then they cut out a whole lot of other foods because they read a list that said these are all the foods containing histamines or lectins or oxalates or salicylates or FODMAPs. Mm. It leaves you practically nothing to eat. And by the time you've cut down, it's not unusual for me to find people who can only eat five or six foods without feeling terribly unwell. They now have such poor nutrient intake, it becomes very difficult to repair that because they don't have the nutrients now to do the repair. So that's a real problem. So um, one of the things I do focus a lot on is gut health and um, the sulforaphane molecule in the broccoli sprout is particularly useful for helping to restore that balance because We're trying to deal with the upstream factors in the cells lining the intestine, epithelial cells we call them, and if we can get them functioning better, they become less reactive because what happens is there's such a lot of inflammation on the intestinal wall that people who have these foods that they react to, it just continues to trigger off this inflammation and, you know, the body responds with pain and diarrhea and bloating of course they're not going to eat that food if that's what it does but some people will say I can't eat anything with broccoli because that makes me worse 
And in some of, and I must tell you this because some of these really severe gut cases, when they start taking our uh, Enduracell sulforaphane yielding supplement, if they take the standard dose, they will get a really bad reaction. So what we teach our clinicians is that we start on a very, very slow dose and we gradually build it up. And the reason they get such a bad reaction, we think, is that um, the sulforaphane has the ability to kill off the pathogens or the bad bugs without hurting the friendly bugs. But in the process, we get what's called die-off. So if you kill off a whole lot of bacteria at the same time, those dead bacteria release their waste materials into the system and it's like a toxin that mm. um, your body goes, yuck, we don't want that, and flushes it all the way out. So it's important if you've got one of those really bad reactive digestive systems is to start with very small. And when I say very small, sometimes that's as little as get a really sharp knife out of the kitchen, like a little vegetable peeling knife, and put enough of the powder onto the tip of the knife, open up the capsule if you have to, and take that with a bit of water. Do that twice a day. Okay, I'm all right today. Tomorrow I'll have twice as much. Yeah, I'm all right. Um, and gradually creep it up. Um, often it needs a clinician to get involved in these cases because it can be a little bit much for just the patient to know how to handle it and what to do. Mm. And that's what we teach in our gym protocol course. Um, but once you get that inflammation out of the gut, then they find, oh, I can eat asparagus again and, oh, and I can eat cauliflower and, and so on. So, um, you know, I think it is the era of gut health and I think it is. Mm. everybody talks about it, but I think mm. unfortunately a lot of people are taking antimicrobial herbs or essential oils to try and kill off what they think are the pathogens or the pathobionts, they're killing off the good bugs as well. Yeah. That isn't actually the answer. It can give short-term relief but can actually make things worse in the long run. So I think we've got to be gentle with the body and, and not try and second-guess Mother Nature and mm. try and step back and say, how, how would nature deal with this? We've been on this planet for, I don't know, thousands, millions, years, whatever. We've all survived to this point. So mm. how would nature deal with this? So left in the natural environment, how would this be handled? And um, I think, you know, we have the marvels of modern medicine and even mm. the marvels of modern nutritional medicine, but sometimes I think we go a little bit too far and, and we're actually countering nature and I do see that happening. And I see that happening in uh, immune function where the popular thinking is to take high-dose vitamin C if you think you've got an infection, when in actual fact what we know now that that does is that that uh, deactivates the switch in the cell that's upregulating these 250-odd protective genes. So I've learned a lot of things since I left practice in 2004 and I said to you earlier, if I was in practice now, I would do things quite so differently. Um, mm. But I guess that's progress and luckily mm. for me, I'm in a position now where I'm no longer changing the appointment book and I do have the time to do the research that I didn't yeah. have at that stage of my career. 
it's um you know we're so thankful that you are um that you've gone in that direction it's hugely useful to us it makes completely sense complete sense like i have said before that we don't tamper with it that we want to heal up our gut um eat nutritiously so that our bodies can thrive uh that's what we all want and it sounds from our conversation that it really is a lot simpler than um sometimes we had been led to believe uh, mm-hmm. we've just got to stay away from the crappy food and eat the good food and allow our body to function as it was designed. Uh, I've loved my conversation with you, Christine. Thank you so very much. Uh, we will be putting your contact information in our show notes so that people can contact you should they be interested or want to know more or even find a practitioner that can help them along their journey. Um, like you, we're really passionate about making sure people live their best lives. And mm-hmm. it's just about adhering to nature, which is so wonderfully simple and um, in alignment with what we love to do. So thank you very much, Christine. My absolute pleasure, Kate, and thank you.